0: Thank you for listening to the podcast of Antioch Church, a Christian community in Bend, Oregon, being formed by the story of a God who is making all things new, including us. You can learn more at antiochchurch.org. Thanks for listening. Morning, church. Good to see you all today. We're going to be in Luke chapter 6 in just a moment. Um, but first I want to give you a, uh, brief little COVID update. Uh, I'm assuming you heard that the state of Oregon, uh, is lifting the indoor mask mandate as of March 31st. And, um, If you've been following along with us for the last couple of years, since the very beginning of the pandemic at Antioch, we've decided uh, to do our best to kind of follow along with CDC recommendations and whatever local guidelines or restrictions are in place. Uh, Of course, not everybody has been happy about that, but uh, we've stuck to it and you guys have been real champions. So um, as of March 31, the indoor mask requirement for public places is coming to an end. And what our team decided is that we actually really love these and we're just going to keep wearing them indefinitely. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Uh, We decided at that point we will uh, go with the recommendation and masks will become optional um, for us on Sundays at that point. And so I know for a ton of us, this is good news. We hate these things and can't wait for the day uh, to come. And for others of us, Um, The fact that we are masked up on Sunday mornings is one of the reasons that you feel uh, loved and safe here. And so, uh, especially for those that have health conditions that make you especially vulnerable. And so, um, I hope that whatever side you find yourself on in this whole thing, um, that we can continue to press forward as one body and um, not let these stupid things create a division in in the family of God. And so... Um, what we're doing is working on setting up a comfortable outdoor option on Sunday mornings. For those that will prefer that, once we're, uh, masks are optional in here, and um, it should be a great situation out there. But the plan is that after March 31st, masks will be, op- masks will be optional. We still have to wear them for the next six weeks until then. Um, so appreciate your patience and compassion as we uh, try to figure all that out. So, sound good? Yes. All right. Luke chapter 6, we are looking at the blessings and the woes in today's gospel reading, Um, but first we need to back up just a couple of verses to get a little bit of the context for this sermon that Jesus gives. Um, So here's where we are in the point, in the story, we're very early on in Jesus' ministry, Um, He's been traveling around the Galilee, teaching and healing people, freeing them from oppressive spirits, and the news about him is beginning to spread. And the crowds are growing, and all kinds of people are starting to show up wherever Jesus is. And they're listening to his teaching and hoping that he will heal them from their diseases or whatever they're dealing with. And What you notice, though, is as the crowds around Jesus continue to grow, Luke tells us that Jesus often withdraws by himself to lonely places to pray. And it's like he was somehow aware of the dangers of success. And so the teaching of Jesus that we're looking at today in Luke 6 comes immediately following one of these times where Jesus has just been up all night praying in the mountains. So back a couple of verses, Luke 6, 12, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he also designated apostles. So Jesus has been up all night, maybe hiking through the wilderness, praying to the Father. And then in the morning, he looks at the crowd and he calls these 12 men from the crowd who would be his apostles. 12 men because they represent the 12 sons of Jacob who would become the 12 tribes of Israel. So Jesus is relaunching the redemption plan. And then, after he's appointed these 12 apostles, we get to verse 17. It says, he went down with them and stood on a level place. And so today's section is what's known as the Sermon on the Plain. Matthew's Gospel, as most of us know, gives us the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is up on a mountaintop, Preaching, but we're told clearly in Luke 6 that Jesus has been in the mountains and now he comes down to a level place and delivers the Sermon on the Plain. So, just a couple quick similarities and differences between these two uh, accounts of Jesus' teaching. If you're familiar with the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, then a whole bunch of the Sermon on the Plain in Luke sounds pretty familiar. Um, About one-third of the material in Matthew's Sermon on the Mount makes up the Sermon on the Plain. And the two sermons really follow a a similar format and flow. Jesus uses a lot of the same points and parables in both sermons. Um, Both Sermons begin with a list of statements we know as the Beatitudes. It's a strange word. I remember hearing it as a kid and thinking it was a really weird word. And it got even weirder when my church did a kid's musical production called the Beatitudes. And it was a bunch of bees that had different attitudes. And it's amazing I'm still a Christian. But um, the word Beatitude just means Blessed which uh, I'm glad Crystal in her reading said blessed. For some reason, we always say blessed, and I don't really know why. I don't wake up and get dressed. Uh, You just get dressed. You just get blessed. And it sounds fancy or something. Sometimes I'll still catch myself saying it out of habit, but you can just say blessed. Um, Now, in Matthew, Sir, on the Mount, we have eight Beatitudes, um, or nine depending on uh, how some people count it. Um, But in Luke's Sermon on the Plain, we have four Beatitudes, or blessings, but then there's also four what what we're going to call woes, statements of woe. So four blessings and four woes. In Matthew, the Beatitudes are given in the third person. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. (laughs) Sometimes you just got to feel fancy, like... I should be drinking tea. Um, In Luke, Jesus speaks in the second person. He says, blessed are you who are poor okay uh, and finally Matthew's gospel written primarily for a Jewish audience Luke's gospel written much more for a Gentile audience so some similarities and differences between these two sermons and these two gospels so we'll dive in looking at the blessings and the woes in the Sermon on the plain so let's look at the four Beatitudes in Luke 6 again blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God blessed are you who hunger now for you will be satisfied blessed are you you who weep now, for you will laugh. And blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. So, like I said, beatitude means blessed. And oftentimes when we think, of the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain, we often think of the very hard teachings of Jesus. Things like love your enemies or turn to the other cheek, forgive those who sin against you, don't judge others, that sort of thing. And there are some very hard teachings of Jesus in these sermons. But you'll notice that just like in the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Plain doesn't start with demands. It starts with blessings. Jesus blesses before he commands. Or he helps before he gives orders. And then he lists these four groups of people who he says are blessed. The poor, the hungry, those who weep, and those who are hated because of him. Now, here's what's important to understand about the Beatitudes. It's easy and common to read this as a list of virtues. Like, if you want to be blessed, then try to become these things. But that's not what Jesus is doing. I don't think he's listing virtues that we should all try to attain to. I think what he's doing is looking out over this crowd that's gathered around him. And it's a crowd of desperate people And he's taking roll call. It's a crowd full of poor, hungry, grieving, despised people. And he's looking at them and he's saying, I see you. I'm with you. The world may reject you, but my kingdom belongs to people like you. Mikasa See, these aren't virtues that we should aspire to. These are conditions that humans find themselves in. And if we are to find ourselves, if we find ourselves in these conditions, Jesus says we're blessed. So what does blessed mean? It's kind of become a joke now, but a few years ago, hashtag blessed is how we would tag a post that depicted our vision of the good life, right? A perfect day on the golf course or out on the lake, a beautiful meal around the table, a new house, a new car, a new job, hashtag blessed, right? We use that word to kind of refer to material possessions or a pleasant state of being. And that's that's fine, but that's not how Jesus uses the word. Um, When when Eugene Peterson was translating the message, he wanted to use the word lucky instead of blessed. And the Christian publishers wouldn't let him because Christians don't believe in luck. Um, Anybody go to a church where they had to have a pot blessing instead of a pot luck? (laughs) You're still a Christian too. That's amazing. But Peterson really thought this was the closest modern English word for what Jesus is saying here. Lucky. Sounds weird to us. Fortunate. Well positioned. Maybe even in the right place at the right time. If you happen to find yourself in this spot, you're fortunate. You're in a desirable position. You're lucky. Because everything is about to change. So Jesus is speaking to this huge crowd of people that he's been healing and setting free from demonic powers, and now he gets up to preach this sermon to a, this crowd of people who are signing up to be part of this new thing that he's unleashing, this new kingdom that he's creating. And Jesus is laying out a paradigm for what life looks like under his kingship. And it looks really different from the kingdoms of this world. So passages like this can be really confusing because it's easy for Christians to often talk past one another when it comes to understanding what Jesus' mission in the world was all about or even we might say what the gospel of Jesus is all about. Because lots of Christians think that Jesus' mission is primarily about seeking and saving individual sinners. It's a mission or a gospel of salvation. And then other Christians seem to think that Jesus' main mission is about upending the social order. That it's a kingdom mission or a gospel of the kingdom. And so we end up really confused and missing one another when we use terms like gospel or kingdom or mission or salvation. But if you're paying attention, you see that we don't have to choose between these two gospels, the gospel of salvation or the gospel of the kingdom, because Jesus brings salvation to the world by bringing the kingdom of God into the world. Jesus brings salvation to the world by bringing the kingdom of God into the world. Or in other words, salvation is the kingdom of God. And our personal experience of the kingdom of God is an experience of personal salvation. In which we are forgiven of our sins, united with Christ, adopted by the Father, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and grafted into the family of God. When the kingdom of God comes upon the life of an individual, we experience it as salvation. And so Jesus brings salvation into the world by bringing the kingdom of God. And in this sermon, what he's doing is announcing how things work in his kingdom. And he starts by saying, If you are among those who are poor, hungry, weeping, or despised, you are ripe for the kingdom of God. Why? Because Jesus' kingdom is an upside down kingdom. And if Jesus kingdom is an upside down kingdom then it's those who are least invested in the current arrangement of the world that are most ready to receive it. Those who are least invested in the current arrangement in the world of the world are most ready to receive the kingdom of God. So that means if you're on top In a particular social order, if things are going well for you in this world, then you're not much interested in seeing radical change. But if you are poor or hungry, broken hearted or hated, when you've lost it all, when you're on the bottom, you're ready for change. And that's who Jesus says is blessed. That's who Jesus says is lucky or fortunate. Those who deeply desire to see transformation in themselves and in the world. Those who want to be changed and want to see the world changed. Jesus says, I'm here to bring change. And if you're ready to be changed and be part of a world that's changed, you're in the right place at the right time. Does that make sense? And then he moves into the woes. And we aren't as excited about the woes, are we? We'd rather have a Jesus that was all blessings and no woes. But we have the real Jesus instead. Four blessings, four woes. Verse 24, but woe to you who are rich, for you've already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. So just like he pronounced blessing upon these four groups of people in the first part, in the second part, he pronounces woe on these four groups of people. Really, the other side of the coin, the rich, the well-fed, those who laugh, those who are spoken well of. Or in other words, he pronounces woe upon the kind of people that are living the life all of us are hoping to live. The life all of us are dreaming of, working towards, shooting for. Jesus says, woe are you. If that's you woe to you. Now, woe doesn't mean cursed. Sometimes we think of the opposite of blessed as cursed. That's not what Jesus is saying here. When he says woe, he's saying look out. Be on your guard. This is going to be hard for you. He's not cursing those who are rich or comfortable. He's warning them that they are going to be at a disadvantage when it comes to receiving his kingdom. It's going to be harder for you. I'm not cursing you. I'm warning you in love that this is going to be more difficult for you. Why? Well, again, because wherever Jesus goes, he brings change. Jesus never shows up on the scene as a keeper of the status quo and says, my mission in the world is to keep things exactly the same as they are. Jesus shows up, introducing this new kingdom and a new paradigm where everything is upside down. So again, if you're ready for your life to change and ready for the world to change, Jesus and his kingdom will come to you as a blessing. But if you don't want your life to change, and you don't want the world to change too much, then Jesus and His kingdom will come to you as a woe. It's going to be hard for you. It's going to challenge you, and it's going to confront you. So, a couple of weeks ago, I took the kids to uh, Mountain Air, the trampoline park. And um, I spent an hour, whatever, jumping around. And afterwards, I uh, bought them each a drink from the snack bar. And Mila chose this stuff called a Frazzle, which is basically a frozen fruit slushy kind of thing. And uh, as we're driving home, she noticed a warning label on the Frazzle cup. And she read it out loud. And I thought it was one of the most interesting advertising slogans you've ever heard. (laughs) Warning, consumption of frazzle may make you feel happier than you really are. Uh, Now, I do need to apologize here, because I know that the kind of stuff I tend to find interesting is the kind of stuff most people find depressing, Um, My family and my staff help me recognize that regularly. And so I think this is super interesting. And you're like, that's the saddest thing I've ever heard. Um, So I just want to name that. And it's what happens when you have a depressed theologian for a pastor. But um, I honestly can't stop thinking about this label. And I'm not saying it's the best way to sell Slurpees, but... I do think that they're spitting truth that's not far from the kingdom of God. It's possible to feel happier than you really are. At the beginning of the book of Revelation, the risen, ascended Christ appears to the Apostle John on the island of Patmos in a vision. And Jesus gives John these seven messages that he's to take back to these seven early Christian churches. And one of them is the church in Laodicea, who Jesus famously rebukes for being lukewarm in their faith, for being neither hot nor cold. But then he goes on to confront them for something even more disturbing. Revelation 3, Jesus says, You say, I am rich. I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. These are red letters in the book of Revelation. Jesus says to this group of Christians, you think you're rich. You think you're successful. You think you're happy. But you're actually wretched pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You just don't realize it. So according to Jesus, frazzle is right. It's possible to feel happier than you really are. It's possible to be miserable and not know it. Which sounds like a really strange thing, but I think if we're honest, it shows up all over our world and all over our lives. If you think about it, this is really one of the pillars of the consumer culture of which we're all part, that every consumer good we purchases we purchase comes with a promise, a promise to take away our misery and to make us happy. We're going to watch six million dollar ads all throughout the game today. And these companies, these advertisers are doubling down on the hope that whatever they're selling we're going to buy believing it will make us happier than we actually are. I think every single product should have to have this warning label on it. Another place that shows up is in those places where we get caught up in what we might call the rat race. And if you remember, the gospel of God's kingdom was a challenge or a difficult thing for the rich young ruler. And in the same way, the gospel of the kingdom is a challenge or hard to accept for rich, white, comfortable Christians like many of us. And it's particularly challenging for those of us who have grown comfortable with a gospel of salvation only. Which is largely inward and future focused and which can be tailored in such a way that it doesn't necessarily challenge us to sacrifice any of our pursuit of the American dream or cause us to recognize our need for humility and repentance for the mercy and grace of God. So to those who are running the rat race and think they're doing well, as the saying goes, the problem with the rat race is that even if you win, you're still a rat. (laughs) Finally, many of you know, uh, I had to quit drinking alcohol a few years ago. And it came to the realization that I was drinking to make myself feel happier than I really was numbing myself, trying to escape from pain, trying to avoid dealing with my story and my soul. And at some point you wake up and realize that this thing you thought was going to save you is actually trying to kill you. So I've been uh, sober for 954 days. And I was thinking about throwing a thousand-day party in a couple months. If you want to get together and drink LaCroix and (laughs) chew gum, it'll be awesome. Um, (laughs) But I know my own life, and for many of us, food, alcohol, pills, porn, pot, whatever it is, these things that we turn to, to make us feel happier than we really are. But as C.S. Lewis said, in the end, we realize they're just dumb idols that are going to break our hearts. So all of us are either in recovery or in denial. And this is whom Jesus pronounces woes upon, those who are still in denial. Those who are miserable and don't know it. Those who are content to feel happier than they actually are. Okay, enough of that. I promise I took my antidepressants this morning. I'm just trying to preach the passage. So, <laughs> here's the good news the good news is the kingdom of God has come, and Jesus wants to bring salvation to you, wherever you find yourself in this crowd. If I might sum it up like this in the words of Jack Miller, cheer up, you're a worse sinner than you ever dared imagine. And you're more loved than you ever dare hope. So why does Jesus say that the kingdom of God belongs to the poor, the hungry, the weeping, and the despised? Because in the Beatitudes, Jesus is ultimately describing himself. Throughout his life and ministry, we see Jesus living among those overlooked and rejected by the world. And he often found himself in the company of the poor, hungry, weeping, and despised. But I think the closest picture we get is on the cross. On the cross, Jesus is poor. On the cross, Jesus is hungry. On the cross, Jesus wept. And on the cross, Jesus was hated, insulted, and rejected to the point of death. So Jesus became all of these things not so that we wouldn't have to but so that when we find ourselves in places of poverty or pain physically or spiritually we can find him there and become like him. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Father God, we are so grateful that you, in your grace, in your love, and in your generosity, have invited us, all of us, to come and to find a place at your table, in your home, to share in your very life. And the truth is, God, we aren't just those who receive blessing, or those who receive woe. Every single one of us receives both. At different times, in different parts of our life. And we thank you that your grace is sufficient, that your salvation is full, and that your healing work in our lives and in the world has just begun. And so I pray that you would give us the humility and the faith to receive your kingdom anew today. In Christ's name.